0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, Can you all hear me okay? Thank you, Tim, for a thumbs up at the back. Well, a warm welcome to you all. It's uh, lovely to see you, uh, especially if you're visiting uh, for the first time or or just visiting, and to see some old friends here with us. It's lovely to have you. Um, Before we come to God's word, let's just pray again, shall we, and ask God to help us. Lord God, we just bless you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we come to your word now, we ask you to come and help us, to speak to us, and to encourage our hearts. Do us good, dear God, but glorify your name, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at Psalm 96. And... uh, In the Old Septuagint version of the Bible, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew, this psalm is entitled a psalm of David when the temple was built or rebuilt after their captivity. Why do I mention that? Because that's a bit of a funny title because David lived 500 years before the temple was rebuilt. And the fact is that this psalm is recorded in 1, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and it does seem as if David wrote this psalm at that point in time but when the exiles came back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple I was going to say they rewrote this psalm actually if you compare this psalm with 1 Chronicles 16 you'll probably find just two or three words are different So I don't think they did rewrite it. They just reintroduced it and used it at this time. And this psalm is all about um, the Lord God as king. Uh, This is the time of the year when we think about the Lord Jesus coming into this world, being sent from heaven, uh, becoming a man, um, taking upon him flesh and blood that he would be God's king on earth. And this uh, psalm is all about God being king, but it's actually about the second time that the Lord Jesus comes. This psalm spells out the Lord's greatness in the clearest possible way. And it calls for a response, a wholehearted response, to this glorious God who we see as the sovereign creator, saviour and judge of all the earth. The psalm is full of exaltation and joy in a king who redeems and delivers a suffering world, who conquers evil, sin and death and replaces them with righteousness, truth and utter joy. Utter joy. The psalm is a song of celebration, a song to honour the king. And in fact, in verse 1, we are encouraged to sing a new song. Do you like new songs? We had a new song today, didn't we? All right, it's an old tune, so we cheated. If that was a new tune as well, we'd have been in trouble, big time, wouldn't we? The Bible is full of new songs. Psalm 98, we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, starts off with a new song. This is what we read in Revelation. Because new songs, you know, are normally about the Messiah. They're normally about God's King. And In Revelation 5, we read these words. This is people in heaven. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This new song." is a song about the king who died, who shed his blood, who rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, who redeemed his people. And so our psalm is a new song, but it points to the time when the Lord Jesus will come for the second time. But this time he will come, as we're told in this psalm, he will come, in verse 13, to judge the world. That's how he will come. So our song is about a victorious king, and we're going to think about three things. Uh, The greatness of the king, our response to the king, and the future coming of the king. And uh, regarding the greatness of the king, not starting off at verse 1, we're starting off at verse 4. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. Great is the Lord. That's a very simple statement, isn't it? Very plain and ambiguous. And what that means is that God is greater than any other God. He is to be feared, we're told, in verse 4, above all gods. In verse 5, there's a sort of comparison between the living God and false gods. Gods of the nations are idols. What is interesting is, I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all, but I understand that this word gods is very similar to the word idols. There's a sort of play on words in the Hebrews, in the Hebrew language. The gods um, are idols. But the word idol means nothing. It means nothingness. So some translations translate these idols, in verse 5, as worthless idols. They're big nothings. They're big nothings. The gods of the nations are nothing. So you can read verse 5. And someone put it like this. These mighty gods are mighty useless. They are good for nothing. They are empty, they are lifeless, and meaningless, and as opposed to false gods, the God of the Bible we are told in verse 5, is the Lord who made the heavens. There's nothingness, and there's the Lord who made the heavens. That's the comparison. This is what Jeremiah said. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great great power and by your outstretched arm. And then he said this. And Christian, if you're down a bit this morning, if there's a, a believer here this morning that's feeling a bit discouraged, listen to what Jeremiah said. Lord, you made the heavens by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for our God. And I know there are some people here this morning that are burdened, that are troubled. But you look to our God because our God is able to give you strength and grace nothing is too difficult for our God and that doesn't matter whether it's sickness whether it's money whether it's jobs whether it's health whether it's family whatever it is nothing is too difficult for our God I like what um, Isaiah said I think we had these words who has measured the waters In the hollow of his hand. Now, you might just want to look at your hand. Because the hollow is the little bit in the middle. The picture the Bible gives us of God is a great God. He holds, he measures the waters of the oceans in the hollow of his hand. He marks off the heavens with a span that is a span the distance between your thumb and your forefinger that's a span he's enclosed the dust of the earth in the measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance To whom will you liken God? I struggle with this subject in a way, but I don't know how many of you have heard of a guy called Louis Giglio. Anyone here familiar with Louis Giglio? Well, we've got some fans here. Right, I don't mind pinching other people's stuff when it's good stuff. If you've not seen Louis Giglio, look him up on YouTube. Uh, What you want is the indescribable video, and you want the one that's at least 60 minutes long. You don't want the short bit, you want the big bit. But uh, this takes your breath away. Because our God, how do we describe our God? And what Louis does is he does this. He likens everything to a golf ball. This is planet Earth. This is what he uses as his illustration. So I pinched it. I found this in the garden. I thought, that's very convenient. Someone's lost the golf ball. He says, if this is planet Earth, how big is our sun? Now bear in mind our sun is 93 million miles away. It takes like eight minutes to reach us. But if we put this on the ground and we put the sun next to it, a gold ball down there which is an inch and a half, the sun would be 15 feet tall. And the earth would go into the sun nearly a million times. I think the figure he quotes is 960,000 times. The earth would go into the sun. But the fact is, the Sun is a very small star. The biggest star that scientists have discovered is a star called Canis Majoris, which means big dog star. If I put the golf ball on the ground and put Canis Majoris next to this little earth, how big would this star be? We'll be going up more than 15 feet, right? Canus Majoris, compared to the earth as a golf ball, is the height of Mount Everest. This earth would fit into Canus Majoris seven thousand trillion times. This is one star. Canus majoris is one star. God has made billions. There are billions of stars in our universe. Nothing is too hard for God. We haven't got words to describe how great our God is. We say the words, but brothers and sisters, you have to open your eyes. It's not good enough to say our God is a great big God. He measures the heavens with a span. Canis Majoris is just a dot in that with God. Nothing is too hard for our God and there is no other God because all the gods of the nations are nothings. They are empty, absolutely empty, but our God stretched out the heavens with a word of his command, he spoke the word and the universe was created this is the god that we are told to ascribe glory to we sing we didn't sing it this morning we could have done i suppose indescribable uncontainable you set the stars in the sky we haven't got words to describe how great our God is great is the Lord. The psalmist says, "If you like, that's a massive understatement, because our God is a truly great God in every sense. He is to be feared above all gods, because all the gods of the nations are nothing's but the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and glory." Are in his sanctuary in the book of Revelation we have a picture of the throne of God and uh, we find it's glorious there's a rainbow there and round the throne there's 24 elders with golden crowns on their heads and there's lightning flashes coming from the throne and thunder And there's four living creatures there, very special creatures. And they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Heaven is full of creatures, men, angels, seraphim, cherubim, that are worshipping this God who made all things. And he's glorious, splendour, majestic, strength, glory, glory. Honor. Some people translate the word glory as beauty, and uh, that's true as well. Our God is a great king in every way, who demands a response from us. And I think when we get a view of God, you can't really be unmoved by it if you get that view. But our next little point is really interesting, in the light of what we've said. This is our response to the king. And uh, the first thing I've said is about a welcome. Because in verse 8, the Lord says, Bring an offering and come into his court. God gives away. Right. Isn't this amazing? The God who made everything, the God who means nothing, is interested in people like you and me. And more than that, he says, I want you to come uh, we had some friends pull up at our house well, some time ago now but one of the people got out the car and came and knocked on the door because they had to bring something and the other person sat in the car and uh, we went to the door and we said well why don't you come in and they didn't want to impose and so to the person outside I went out and said Come on in. And of course they switched the, 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 the engine off and, and came in. They didn't want to impose on us. They didn't feel they could. Do you see what God does? He's standing there and he's saying, Come on in. Do you know it's really encouraging when you get that? You know when you're not sure. I, are you really wanted? Uh, you know, you we know, just come at tea time and something, you think, do they really want us? But when you see this, it sort of gives you that encouragement, doesn't it? That's what God does. It's just what God does. Do you know what Jesus says? He said, come to me. He didn't say it in a stern, aggressive voice. He didn't say, well, I don't really want you to come. He says, come. He's encouraging. He says, come to me, all you labour and the heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Isn't that a fantastic promise? This God who made everything, who knows everything, who can do anything, nothing's too hard for him. He's interested in you, and he says, I want you to come. And you might think, well, I can't come because I've got all these problems. Actually, they're the people who says, I, I want to come. You who labour, you who are heavy laden, you that are carrying burdens, that are weighing you down. Jesus says, I want you to come. Do you know, there's lots of people believe in Jesus. I guess you all do. Do you know, there's a sense in which believing in Jesus isn't actually enough. Now, before I get thrown out for heresy, let me explain what I mean. You know, Satan believes in Jesus. You know that. The demons said when Jesus was here, they said, we know who you are. And Jesus said, you be quiet. You be quiet. Satan knows who Jesus is. He believes, he knows Jesus is the Son of God. It's not enough to believe up here who Jesus is. You actually have to trust him. That means you have to do what he says. You have to come. So you might believe in Jesus, but have you ever come to the Lord Jesus? Have you ever come and committed your life to him and trusted him? Because that's what he wants. Come to me with all your burdens and I will give you rest. That's his promise. And he says here, bring an offering. Well, Bring an offering, come into his courts. The only offering we can bring is believing in the Lord Jesus in his death on the cross. Because there's one sacrifice for sin for all time. That's the offering we must bring if we want to become Christians. It's trusting in the Lord Jesus, in his shed blood on the cross, what really matters. But there's something else that follows this straight away. There must be another response apart from just accepting God's welcome this psalm is all about worship and worship is about declaring something is worthy it's what it's worth so things that are worth a lot are what we idolize things that are worth something to us and God is the one who is supremely worthy it's about the weight that we put on things So worship is what God wants. In fact, it's where the psalm starts, isn't it? Sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. So when we trust in the Lord Jesus, what do we then do? We praise him. Fact, we can't help it. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. Through the Lord Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name." If you are a Christian, you must be a worshipper of our great God. That means you praise him. You want to sing about him. We're told in the New Testament to sing to one another. Well. If I were to do that with you, you perhaps wouldn't appreciate it very much. But it's what the Lord wants. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. And notice how we're to do this. Verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Or should we say, the beauty. I don't know what you think God is like. Oh, we're human, we, we fight, we struggle, don't we? Um, have you been out recently and looked at the trees with all the leaves and uh, the last few weeks, especially in the sunshine, it's been absolutely fantastic out there, hasn't it? Haven't you actually looked and thought, this is absolutely wonderful? The fact is, creation is wonderful. And yet, it's a fallen wonderfulness. It's a sinful world. And yet, it's still beautiful. How much more beautiful do you think that would be if it wasn't fallen? There are some people, you know, that are stunningly beautiful. You know that? You know, there are some people that are very, very good looking. There are some people that are incredibly beautiful. Some people are incredibly handsome. I don't mean this in the wrong way at all. There are some people that are so, sort of perfect in their appearance. What do you think God is like? If God made this creation and he made us. See, what do you think Satan's like? Do you think he's got horns and a tail and all this stuff? It's absolute nonsense. The Bible says that Satan, when God made him, was perfect in beauty. Satan is a stunner in terms of looks. If God makes our creation beautiful, how much more beautiful do you think God is? God is stunningly beautiful. Perhaps you never think of God as being beautiful, but he is. And he's glorious because he's holy as well. We worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. But the fact is, we should be holy too, as Peter says. We're a people for God's own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Therefore, be holy just like he is holy. And of course, verses 7 and 8 tell us again, three times, to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Did you know the glory that we give God is something that he is owed in a way? The Bible says we're to owe no man anything. How much less should we owe God? And the Bible says here, Give God the glory, do his name in verse 8. God wants us to give him that glory. He wants us to respond in that way. And lastly, if we accept God's welcome, we worship him, but then we witness for him. Why do we do it? Well, because of verse 4. We do it because God is great. And how do we do it? Well, I think we do it in about five different ways. We do it by singing. We sing to the Lord in Esau. And when we sing in this meeting, we're praising and glorifying God together. Verse 2 goes on. Proclaim his salvation day after day. That means telling other people. We we publicly want to acknowledge God. We want to thank him for all that he has done. We want to speak to others about how he has rescued us. Sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvellous deeds among all people. Why? Because great is the Lord at um, our home group on Tuesday, someone came out with a lovely little word. We were talking about sharing the gospel. And they were saying, it should spill out of us. We should be overflowing. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying. Proclaim his salvation every day, declare his glory. You know, um, sing to the Lord. we to be doing this, it seems to me, all the time say among the nations the Lord reigns and lastly the coming of the king this psalm is about the Lord Jesus it's about his coming and verses 10 to 13 uh, speak about this coming it's God's king who will bring peace to earth the sense in which God's kingdom has come in the hearts of his people now There's a very real sense in which God rules over everything, even though things are delegated, Um, but Satan's power is limited, he's the prince of the air, but he can only do what God allows him to do. But there's a real sense in which one day soon, the Lord Jesus will come, and he will reign in an absolute sense, and everyone and everything will submit to him and that's what this psalm is really saying let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad why because the lord reigns and one day soon he will in a very public way the wonderful thing is jesus is coming he's coming for his people and if you're a christian this morning let me tell you this i probably say this every time i preach If you are a Christian, you are the most blessed person on the planet. Make no doubt about it. Life isn't about what money you've got in the bank or what house you live in. It's about having your sins forgiven, having peace with God and having the most glorious future ahead of you. You are the most blessed person on the planet if you are a Christian. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We have a wonderful future. Jesus is coming for his people. Jesus is coming to judge the world. That's what verse 13 tells us. The Lord comes. He comes to judge the world. And every word that's been said, every thought that's gone through our minds, every deed that's been done, will all be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's why we need a saviour. Someone to deliver us from that. And, but Jesus is coming. And uh, you notice what verse 13 says, Let creation rejoice. Creation is groaning, Paul tells us in Romans. Um, But creation, we're told there, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And even we, Paul says, we groan inwardly. Yes, Jesus is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. This is what Isaiah said. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth. God sent him from heaven, and he came, to rescue people from their sins. But that passage goes on, and it says this, He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. And it goes on, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the The sea. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, creation will rejoice. Even those stars will rejoice. I don't know how. But creation is groaning. Was it Alfred Lord Tennyson famously said in his poem, That nature was red in tooth and claw. And everything out there is kinning each other. But that's going to stop. The Lord's going to change it. Creation will be set free. Christian, we'll have new bodies. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to reign with him forever. Because Jesus is coming. What a great God we have. What an amazing God. A truly great God. He wants us to respond to him. He welcomes us. He says, come. Come and be a worshiper. Come and be a witnesser. And look for that coming of the Lord Jesus where everything will be made new. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Sin will be dealt with. No sickness. No sorrow. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for every promise that you've made. We thank you your word is true. And we pray for that day when the Lord Jesus will come again. But Lord, we ask in the meantime, you would rescue many people, that many people would come and rejoice in you and find peace with you and sins forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to take a two-minute break. Uh, I'm going to get a drink, because I'm quite parched. You can talk amongst yourselves. um, And then... um